Well, good morning. We are continuing our series together today in the book of Galatians. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, perhaps you have heard or have seen how this letter that we have from Paul is pretty intense. It's a passionate plea by Paul. It's, some would say, even hot towards these churches in Galatia. Paul's language at times seems biting and aggressive for sure. Paul began his letter with a concern and an astonishment that these followers of Jesus were deserting the good news of the gospel. You might remember that some false teachers had come into the Galatian churches and have said, you need more than the gospel to be accepted. And this frustrated Paul. In this letter, Paul begins by addressing the church of Galatia. He takes some time then to give a little background to his calling in ministry, to where he got the message of the good news of the gospel, and even some of his traveling to Jerusalem to confirm what he was preaching was accurate. And now in our section this morning, he comes back to addressing the Galatians themselves. And he has some pretty aggressive words. Our passage begins with him basically saying, you idiots, why do you keep doing idiotic things? He calls them foolish. He calls them mindless or witless. He doesn't understand why they can't think straight. Paul is hot. But hopefully we'll see and understand why this is so important to him and why he addresses them this way. So we're going to read Galatians 3, beginning in verse 1. You could follow along in your order of worship or in a Bible, or just listen as I read. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is God's word and is given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we admit and acknowledge that... Um, There's been some difficulties in our lives recently. There's been stuff going on in the nation and in our city that has caused some of us uh, to have a lot of anxiety, a lot of wounds being opened up, a lot of pain and frustration and confusion. Father, some of us uh, long to know the truth of things. We think we know the truth, and then we see brokenness in our lives. We see brokenness in our world. We see brokenness in our city, and we wonder what's going on. Father, in all things, I pray that we will remember and believe that your Son is the way, the truth, and the life. 
And may we grab hold of him now, even as we hear from your word. And may we believe more about you and your son that would help us live our lives in faith and obedience to you. In your holy name, amen. Well, back when I was in college, one October, a group of friends and I went to Wisconsin to help my former church put on a haunted trail for the youth group. Some of my friends were assigned things like going into the cornfield and as the kids walked through, grabbing them and pulling them into the corn. One of my friends was in charge of being behind these gated horse uh, stall and saying he couldn't get out, he couldn't get out, and then being able to move the gate and chase after the kids and freak them out. Now, I don't know why, but my role for that week was to play a hobo, a scary hobo. So I wasn't really sure how that would be scary. So what I did is I set up a tent on one side of the trail. I made a fire. I had it look like I was living there. And then I went and hid on the other side of the trail. They would send the youth group kids two by two through the trail. And mine was the first section they got to. And inevitably, as the first two began to walk in and others after them, you would see them fixated on the fire, cautiously looking to see what was going to come out and scare them. Well, while they were looking over there, I would sneak up and start walking with them without them knowing. They're so focused on the fire, they didn't notice that I became part of their group. You should have seen their faces when they realized that someone was added to their group. You should have seen these teens when they realized they were focusing on the wrong things and they freaked out and screamed. A couple ran straight ahead to get past this station. Some ran back, never to return to the trail. One kid just fell down crying. It was awesome. You know, in our account today, the believers were on a path and something snuck in that wasn't just scary, but very dangerous. In our passage today, the believers were focusing on the wrong thing, and it was threatening to bewitch them. As I already said, some false teachers had come into this church, and they had threatened these believers into thinking that the path they were on was not the right path. These false teachers came and said, okay, it is good that you started with the good news of the gospel, but in order for God to really accept you, You need to follow some of these Old Testament laws and customs. They were saying that the path of faith in the gospel wasn't enough. So that is why Paul was so upset. Paul is adamant that it is foolish and dangerous to add anything to faith. Faith is not just a temporary path that we're on until you can exchange it for something else. Faith in Jesus is the only way that anyone can be right with God. So Paul goes to great length in this book to the letter, or this letter to the church of Galatia, to make sure they do not miss or neglect the message of the good news that we are justified, that we are declared right, that we are accepted by God based on faith and faith alone. Paul wants to make sure that nothing is added to the good news of the gospel. And the reality is we can miss the fundamental gospel reality and the centrality of Christ in our lives today. 
The message to the church in Galatia is a message for us this morning. And this idea of faith and having faith in Jesus is what I want to look at with you this morning. This faith is found in this section, and I want to examine the object of faith and the evidence of faith and the benefit of faith. Now, the object of the faith that we must have is given to clearly to us in the first verse. Paul says it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The message of the gospel, the message that Paul gave to everyone was that Jesus Christ was crucified. The message of the gospel is that Jesus' work on the cross was complete and the benefits of his death and resurrection were for everyone who believes. The message of Jesus that Paul presents here as he presents elsewhere is not just a message on how to live. It's not just a message of the example of Jesus to follow. It's not just a message of how to apply the teachings of Jesus in our lives. Now, many are drawn to those types of messages about Jesus. We want a Jesus that shows us and teaches us how caring for the poor matters. We want a message of Jesus that shows a loving nurturer who looks out for the broken and calls us to as well. We want the message of Jesus to be a message that is relevant to our day-to-day lives and maybe fits our agendas. I know I do. And listen, the character and the teachings and the example of Jesus interacting with others is awesome and good to examine. The character and the teachings and the example of Jesus are wonderful to reflect upon for our day-to-day lives. But we cannot forget that the true, lasting message of Jesus is that he came to die. That Jesus came to set us free from our sins. That on the cross, Jesus did what we could not do ourselves. He set us free. As one commentary I read put it, the gospel is not good advice, but good news about Jesus. It is not an invitation to do anything, but a declaration of what God has done. The gospel is not a demand, but an offer. The gospel is an offer to see what Jesus has done on the cross for you and me. So I have to ask you, do you see Jesus on the cross? Do you ever look at your Savior crucified? And what does it even mean? For us to look at him on the cross. Well, I love what this first verse says about the message of the crucified Jesus. Paul says it was before your very eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Most, if not all, of the people that Paul was writing to were not in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. They did not see the cross with their own eyes. And yet here Paul says to look at the cross, to look with their eyes at the Savior who died for them. How we grow as a follower of Jesus is by fixing our eyes on the cross. How we fight against trying to get to God on our own good works and deeds 
is by pointing to Jesus and saying, you have done it all. How we fight against the shame and the fear and the guilt and the disappointment that we think God is thinking about us is to look at Jesus on the cross and know he did that for us. And the more we do this, the more we get to live. The more we do this, we get to live lives of faith for Jesus. As the passage that Pastor Aaron preached on last week says, we can, like Paul, say these words. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do we believe this today? Do you believe that you have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer you who lives, but you live in Christ? Do you believe that you can look at what Jesus has done and know that it is finished and there is no more work to be done? Do you believe that you are accepted by the work of Jesus alone? And do you realize that the gospel is a part of your everyday life that you grab hold of? The Galatian sisters and brothers were struggling with this belief. And so Paul turns to give them evidence and proof of faith. And he starts by asking them a question in verse 2. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let me ask you this. When you first believed, was it based on the works that you did or on faith? Let me ask you this. When the Spirit comes into your life, which the Spirit comes when the gospel is heard and believed, what part do we play in that process? Do we and did they get the Spirit of God in conversion because of the good things they did? Or did they get the Spirit because of faith in God? Only by the Spirit can we make any true confession of who Jesus is. Paul is clear about this elsewhere in a letter to the church in Corinth. He says these very important words for us to believe. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. No one can claim Jesus as Lord except by the Spirit moving in our lives to bring us to this truth. So Paul is frustrated that if we have to begin with the Spirit, why do we now turn to other things to gain our acceptance? Paul is frustrated that these believers began in faith but now are turning to works in order to get their assurance that they're okay. We aren't just saved by the gospel. We don't just begin with the gospel. We grow with the gospel. We move forward with the gospel. And we are made complete by the gospel. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 3. Having begun with the Spirit, are you now perfecting or completed by the flesh? Paul's saying, having begun with the Spirit, are we now trying to make ourselves right with God through our own works? Are we trying to make ourselves acceptable to ourselves and to others and to God based on what we do or don't do? Paul wants the Galatian believers and you and me to know that the Christian life is one that starts, is maintained, and comes to completion only through the dependence on the Spirit and the good news of the gospel. So what does this look like practically in our lives? For example, should we see progress in our faith? 
should you see growth in your Christian life? If you've been a Christian for 5, 10, 15 years, should you see a difference from day one to today? Does it matter what we do if it's only about faith and the work in Jesus? I think some of us are trying to grow in our faith. Some of us are trying to get better. And some of us find ourselves basing our worth and acceptance on how we're doing. Maybe we're not doing that great right now. Some of us in this room don't really think about our faith in this way. Some of us believe or act like our faith doesn't really have anything to say with our workplace ethics, with our sexuality, with where we spend our time and our money. Some of us believe the gospel. We cling to it as our only hope, and we're thankful for what Jesus has done for us, but we feel stuck, and we feel like we're not getting anywhere. And many of us go in between all those all the time. (laughs) The Christian life is one of ups and downs, of believing and not believing, of being excited for our faith and being apathetic for our faith. Some of us believe and don't believe at the same time. And as I've already said, we don't just begin with the gospel. We do grow with the gospel. We move forward with the gospel, and we are made complete by the gospel. So how do we do this? How do we grow in believing the gospel? Well, it's by looking at Jesus crucified, by resting in Jesus alone. Brothers and sisters, we grow by knowing and believing, even if we don't feel it, that the Spirit is in us if we believe in Jesus. And the Spirit's role is to point us to Jesus and show us our Savior crucified, died, and rose again. Jesus himself was very clear about how we grow and have fruitful lives for him. Jesus was clear how we are to promote his kingdom and follow him with our lives. In the Gospel of John... Jesus says these words, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you hear those words? Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But if we abide in him, we will produce much fruit. Brothers and sisters, we need to believe that we are weak and unable to do what he's called us to do, and we need to depend on him alone to have the fruit that he desires us to have. Well, how do we actually do this? How do we practically abide in Jesus? Well, i got to say, one of the ways we do it is what we're doing right now. It is good to gather together and worship. It is good to align our hearts to God. And as we hear God's word, as the Spirit moves into our hearts and points us to Jesus, we are reminded that we are abiding in him. In a minute, as we feast on the sacrament, as we eat of the bread and drink of the wine and remember the body and the blood of Jesus poured out for us, We are abiding in Jesus. It is good for you to be here. It is good for you to be nourished by God's word and God's sacrament. Looking and resting in Jesus alone is the only way we can produce the fruit that we're called to have. It's the reason why 
I use the Beatitudes for our gospel reading this morning that Andrew read. Remember the words of Matthew 5 says, It is a blessed or it is a good thing when we are among those that are merciful and we are peacemakers and we are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus says, It is a good thing if you are one who promotes peace. It is a good thing if you show mercy. It is a good thing if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you stand up for injustice and you fight for those that do not have a voice. It is a good thing. What Jesus is describing in Matthew 5 is the fruit that we are called to have as a follower of him. But how do we do this? I believe we do this by remembering the first beatitude that Jesus gives. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that realize they can't do it. Blessed are those that know in and of ourselves we do not have what it takes and we need help. Blessed are the poor and the broken and the needy, for they are the ones that the Spirit will move in and cause us to respond in obedience and faith. Blessed are those that know, apart from Jesus, we have no hope. Every single person in this room here, whether this is your first time in church or whether you're the pastor of this church, stand before God with the same need of the gospel. Every single person in this room is accepted by God based on faith and not by what we do or don't do. Everyone, even those that are considered respected and honored above all, stand on the same ground together. This is why I think Paul is a genius, that he brings in Abraham, the father of the Jews, a man of great faith, a man that these believers in Galatia looked up to immensely. And he said, Abraham stands before God the same way you do, by faith alone. Paul, in a bold move, uses the evidence of Abraham's faith to promote what he's trying to say here to the church of Galatia. Paul wants everyone to know that Abraham stood before God based on faith and faith alone. So he quotes Genesis 15 that was read for us in our Old Testament reading. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. God credits or declares that Abraham's faith was righteous meaning that God treated Abraham as if he was living a righteous life. And it's not because of his faith that he is righteous. Rather, it was counted to him as righteous. It is the work of Jesus and God alone, not Abraham, that produces the righteousness. It's a belief that in God and his promises. God promises through covenant with Abraham to make him a great family and a great nation so that he will be blessed and be a blessing to the nations. And all Abraham had to do was believe. Abraham had faith not in himself and his performance, but in God and his promises. Abraham was justified by faith and not by works. And Abraham is just like us. And we are just like him. Abraham is a beautiful picture of the gospel. In fact, in verse 8, I love how it says, as the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The gospel, the good news of Jesus declaring us righteous, was preached to Abraham. The gospel, the good news of God moving into the lives of sinners, is found throughout the whole Bible. 
The gospel is not just what happened when Jesus came on the scene. Yes, we believe Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the promises given to Abraham, but the gospel has been present ever since our first parents fell into sin and they needed it. And all we have to do is believe this good news. We are offered such good news in the gospel, guys. I don't think we realize and appreciate how amazing this truth is. How good news, how much good news this is for us. You know, I started my sermon off by talking about this haunted trail for my old youth group. And it was a lot of fun. But I got to tell you, the main reason they did the haunted trail was to scare these teenagers and then to tell them about Jesus. I wish I wasn't joking, but I'm not. The theme of the weekend is let's talk about how scared you are and then make sure you're scared and afraid of death and judgment because you need Jesus. Now, look, there is a place to talk about death and judgment. The Bible talks about death and judgment. But I don't think we need to just talk about the bad to get people to believe. I think it's far more powerful to talk about the benefits of believing, not just the punishment of not believing. There are many benefits to belief in Jesus. In our account today, the benefit we see is that we are called children of Abraham that God blesses. We are part of the family of God, not based on our ethnicity, not based on some ritual laws or cultural commitments. We are given the same promise that Abraham was given by God. I will be your God. You will be my people. You are my sons and daughters. If we truly believe this, we would stop living in fear that we're not doing enough all the time. If we truly believe this, we would stop living that life of shame or hiding ourselves from others because we don't want them to see the ugliness we feel inside. If we truly believe this, we would know that even if we feel ugly, God looks at us with love and says, you are beautiful because you are in my son and I love you. When we believe this truth that we are accepted by God based on what Jesus has done, we will stop living the never-ending cycle of performance-based religion. We need to stop it. Brothers and sisters, you cannot earn God's love by what you do and you cannot lose God's love by what you do. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are loved, period. No matter how good this week has been or how bad this week has been, God loves you. May we believe that truth of the gospel. May we look to Jesus crucified and know there is nothing we can do to lose the love of God. May we believe that either for the first time this morning or the thousandth time this morning. And may that motivate us to respond in gratitude to God and service for his kingdom. May we turn to God and turn to Jesus and realize, like one of my favorite lines in a hymn, that we must hold to. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. Brothers and sisters, cling to the cross of Jesus today. Let us pray. Father, we do pray for our 
ability to see and to believe and to hold on to the truth that we are accepted based on what you've done, not what we have done. And may that truth motivate us to love you more, to love our neighbors more, to love this world you've created more. And may we rest in you and you alone, not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout our week and throughout our lives. May we cling to the cross and believe that is our only hope for salvation and life. In your name, amen.